This is the season finale of the Modern Mindset Podcast. Don't you always get chills down your spine when you hear that at like the beginning of a TV show and the last episode when it does that? You are listening to the season finale. Like it, it, it gives you those chills. It makes you feel emotional and you're kind of like, oh man, it, it, it hits you at that moment that this might like as much as you're like waiting to see what the ending is, you almost hoped it never came. But fortunately, it is only a season finale and not a series finale, which means there is plenty and plenty of room for us to come back and have better conversations, which I'm really excited about. But my friends, chapter 15 with your host, Mufus Chaudhry and Camille, we couldn't be more grateful for every single one of you that have even given us a minute of your time to listen in on the show. And a lot of like surprise messages from people that um, like I didn't know a lot of people that uh, were listening to our show that when they listened to our last episode, they were sending us messages and wishing us best of luck on the season finale. So it's just really, we're just really, really grateful from all the attention. Sometimes you're putting thoughts in the air and you don't know who's listening. And when you get that type of feedback, not only gratitude, but uh, things that are useful, things that people could apply in their life, things that are actually resulting in change. Uh, it gives us a reassurance that we're at the right place at the right time. And Camille, I'm so fortunate. You know, when I think back to earlier this year when you and I were hanging out and, and we were kind of just hanging out because we couldn't go anywhere due to the lockdown. And I was kind of walking around the living room and I remember kind of saying to you like, hey, like, when I go out there and I speak on stage, my whole motto is reinvent yourself. I really believe that that is my overarching takeaway. And I, I truly believe that to the core. And then I turned around and I was like, Camille, like, what is yours? Like, just out of curiosity, if you had an overarching theme and you kind of went up there and had this like one message to the world, as they call it in the, in the industry, what was yours? And you came up with a statement that inspired me so much that it ended up becoming the theme for season one, which is you looked at me and you said, we can do better. And I love that so much that now when you look back at our show, it makes sense why every episode starts with the word better. Like you can do something better than how you did it yesterday. And by just doing better and not getting comfortable with it, you're going to work on continuous improvement. Um, I love that theme completely, and I'm so grateful that you brought into that. I give you full credit for why, not only why we have this incredible show, but why we have such a unique theme that made me fall in love with our own show. Well, thank you. I, I know that, um, well, I think it, like, it was thanks to you that, first of all, like that first issue we had on your podcast that uh, allowed us to actually like talk and exposed me to actually speaking into a record a microphone that's being recorded and uh, knowing that I'm recorded and trying to flesh out these ideas that I feel are so kind of personal to me that it almost feels like it's not that valuable to other people just for the sense like this is who I am and this is who uh, what I want to express uh, but then having that feedback and then having uh, you know, even the view count show that there are people that are interested in these kind of conversations was very reassuring. And it made me think too, that uh, as an overall message is something everyone can connect with. And I mean, it is also uh, like, I want, I don't want to say vague, but it's also specific in that regard too, that, uh, that 
you can connect with that statement in any kind of way. It doesn't have to be, you know, a professional way. It doesn't have to be with your career. It doesn't have to be only to your relationships. It can be like literally anything. And what that means for, for me, at least that if I can help at least kind of trigger this kind of cascade of events that allows them to do better, it makes me feel like I've done something worthwhile. So I'm grateful for that too. And I mean, like I attribute you to providing like a lot of these messages too, and these overall themes that we have these episodes on Um, we, the conversations you and I have, and you know, your ideas that come to the forefront really do help with this overall theme that, and I'm glad that we were able to share that this season. Yeah. And, you know, we even have a lot of practices that we put in play that allows us to constantly get better. One of them being that, before every single episode that we start, we we would do a quick like back and forth and saying like, hey, is there something we could try to do better? And sometimes like it resulted in better microphone quality. Sometimes it resulted in better conversation style. Like, you know, if, if people really pay attention to how much our back and forth has changed, uh, you know, those as much as I love the the organic evolution of a good conversation, it's also in, nice that we got to kind of look back and saying like, hey, why don't we try approaching our conversations like this this time? And I thought that was beautiful that we do that. And then even with video quality, even with feedback that we received, like for us to kind of be able to go back and try to get better. I love that we always had a practice in place that said, what can we do better each time? which goes back to a, uh, a call out to a rule of thumb that I always love living by, which is try to get 1% better. And that 1% better usually just comes down to even asking yourself, like, what could I do better next time? And I, I think that's a great way to lead that conversation. This is also why I think feedback is super important. And, uh, you know, we get compliments sometimes. And as much as there's that one side of it that it just makes you feel good, it gives you a nice little ego boost, you hope you don't get too big headed, and but it, it makes you feel good. There's that one side of it. But then there's the other side that it's those feedback that drives the engine of us getting better and make sure, make sure that we're heading down the right way. This morning, while I was at the gym, I received a message from someone that um, that I've never actually met in person before we've met online during the lockdown and this gentleman lives in the states and out of nowhere through pure serendipity he just sends me a message and he says hey good morning i just want to remind you what an amazing human being i think you are and i wish you a great sunday and i i thought that was just such a great like it made me feel really really good but more so what i think it does for us and why i always hope we get feedback good or bad is the fact that sometimes you're putting things out there in the universe, you know, whether it's content like we do with this podcast, and you don't actually know for sure if you're doing the right thing or going about it the right way. And the only way you can really do that is by getting some direction through the hints that the world sends back to you. Sometimes those hints are feedback, right? And those hints are feedback that says like, hey, this part really helped me or statistics on the back end that says this episode just happened to get more listens than others. So maybe there's something to it. And you start paying attention to these indicators and it helps drive the show. And when I say like, we really grow up with the audience, I really mean it that way. Like we want to grow up with the audience where the lifeline and the oxygen of what keeps the show alive is the feedback from the audience that keeps feeding and making it better with us. You know, we execute the plan, but the plan was formulated as a unit, as a collective. And this is why the audience members are just as big 
as part of the show as you and I are, because these conversations would have just been um, falling on deaf ears if there wasn't a back end plan behind it in terms of how we want to bring it out and how we want to create real change in the world. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I just like the idea of having like a monologue or especially when it comes to things like personal development. I, I think it's great to actually have feedback in real time, kind of be able to adjust the message uh, because as opposed to having a monologue, which is just basically you're so set in your beliefs and goes unchallenged or doesn't, you can't see it in a new perspective just because of the way the other person responds or how they reflect on it. Like even the inflections in their voice as they respond to what you said does provide some kind of change there that might trigger some something new. And I feel like with monologues, it's very easy to just have this that kind of static uh, way about it and become stagnant where when you have this dialogue whether it's with one person or even with the audience itself you can kind of evolve the message over time and add some new things and you know it's a good thing too if we use analogies which we do and we can see with our audience if they connect with them then great if not then we know that maybe this wasn't the best analogy and we can find a better way to like present this idea that makes it more palatable or um, it, that makes it in a way that resonates more. I know, for instance, I have, um, I sometimes struggle with the idea, well, with the fact that sometimes the language I use and sometimes the way I explain things doesn't get the message across that I want. So I have to, I have to have some kind of feedback to see exactly what is being misunderstood or if I can say it in a better way, because sometimes I, because I know it's in my head, so I know what I'm trying to say, but I'm not sure if, if it comes across. So I, I completely agree. And I love the idea of having an open dialogue and it provides me like a new kind of new thing to think about sometimes. Like if it's a feedback tells me that, oh, I, I said this more, um, this was really well said, then I can think, why did I say it that way? And then maybe I can flesh out the idea even more. So that to me is exciting. You remind me very much of the student of the game that I very much have been since I started speaking on stage. And being a student of the game is a necessity if you want to get better. And whatever the game is, can be defined by you. You can decide what game you want to play, but for you to get better, you really need to become a student of the game. And when I started uh, speaking on stage, like that was a big thing for me, like trying to figure out, am I actually articulating the same way that I'm understanding it in my head? And sometimes that's impossible, right? Sometimes there's so much context and bias in the way that you're summarizing things in your head that the way that you articulate it shouldn't be the same. And it should be a lot more surface level information to give context in order to drive that idea home. And part of being a student was always going back and revisiting it, you know, very much inspired by the greats like Kobe, Kobe Bryant, who would frequently go back and watch his tapes to figure out how to get better. And podcasting has allowed us to do that as well, because one thing that you and I love doing is going back and trying to find quotes to use in our marketing. And but while listening to it, I frequently find that I'm getting better just by listening to our own conversations and not necessarily while we're recording in real time, 
with me needing to wait for a response or really listen and, and break down an idea, but more so passively when I'm actually listening, like I'm a listener and really be able to take it and grow and get better. I mentioned in our last episode that I was uh, currently going through Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is the current audiobook on my deck right now. And as I've gone further in this book, I've really enjoyed a concept that he really brought out to market that became quite famous just based on the success of the book. And he calls it the hedgehog concept. And the hedgehog concept was very much from a surface level standpoint, the comparison between a hedgehog and a fox. Now, a fox is typically more clever when you think about how it survives in the world. You know, it's it's uh, it's very tactical in the way that it attacks. It's very, very defensive and creative in the way that it protects itself. And it has unique, different and diverse ideas in order for it to survive. But a hedgehog is very, very straightforward with one consistent plan, with one thing that it does well. And it does that so good that every single time you have a situation where a fox is about to pounce on a hedgehog, it always ends up winning as a result of the fact that it gets defensive and it curls up into a very, very deadly animal. And the fox quickly realizes like, oh, I'm not going to win today. I'm going to come back with something more creative. But no matter how creative the fox keeps getting, it keeps losing through the same strategy that the hedgehog has figured out that works over and over again. And this was then driven into the point that the author was trying to make when when, uh, Jim Collins reviewed all these successful business owners that went from good to great and figured out what was this commonality. One of the biggest commonalities that he came back with was this hedgehog concept, which is the fact that these businesses found one thing that they can do better than anyone else in the world. And they only focused on one thing. And there's actually a lot of businesses in this example that abandoned some of their offerings and went all in on one thing in order to get there. But here's the most important part from this. It wasn't about what you want to be the best in the world at. It wasn't about what you strive to be the best in the world at. It was about what you can be the best in the world at. And an example that he used was of an individual that he met where she won the Ironman competition. And as you know, the Ironman competition is one of the one of the most difficult fitness challenges that are out there in the world. And she won it when she approached and talked to Jim Collins about this and simply said, hey, you know what? I think I can win this. And she didn't say it with like the enthusiasm of someone that's just hyped. Like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Like sometimes we do, you know, when we get ourselves all wired up saying, you know what, I'm going to take over this industry. She just saw it as a fact. She truly believed that her work ethic and her mindset was calibrated far enough where she thought she could do it the best in the world. And Jim Kahn said, the first thing that you need to do is not think about what you can do better at, at, a, at a level better than anything else in the world, but what you can't do. Right? And have that honest conversation with yourself. Because when you start having that honest conversation with yourself, you're allowing yourself to drop that thing that the ego usually does that prevents you from looking at your perspective from an outside world. You know, the ego will usually be like, you know what? I'm not that bad in it. I am actually pretty good. I don't care what anyone else says. And it'll try to gas you up to think like, hey, you could do these things at a world-class level. But what if you were putting your attention on the things that you could do better? And you started hedgehogging it and you started having the patience to get better at it over time. But what happens more often than not is that when you start realizing that other people have 
their success stories, or they did something different, or they critiqued your work, you start skewing away from your plan, right? What could have taken five years, you stop stop at the two-year mark because you're like, you know what? I'm going to try what this person is doing because they seem to be getting it right without knowing the full story. Those distractions along the way typically stops people from getting to the tail end. I thought this was a fascinating concept and it made me think quite a bit about what I could have hedgehog in. Like what, what can I do better than anyone else in the world? And am I actually putting a lot of my attention in that? Or am I starting to kind of fumble around and figure out things without having that honest conversation with myself? There's kind of fear of commitment. I, I see in that story too, where, um, you know, it, it's kind of seen as a strength to be creative and so much so that you can become flexible to the point that you are very open to all these new ideas and you can just kind of take them and discard the old ones. And with my personality, I find that very often to be the case too, where I do like to pick up these new hobbies and abandon my old ones. But as a result, there's that old saying everyone knows, jack of all trades, master of none. That's what ends up being uh, being the case is that you don't, you're not able to master that skill because you can't commit yourself to that one thing. And that's why we, we stressed a lot throughout this podcast, especially in this season, that you have to learn how to choose your own sacrifice. You have to find, you have to choose what to aim towards and recognize what that actually means and what part of that means is you cannot pursue these other things at the same time or else you're you're kind of handicapping yourself and not allowing yourself to reach that full potential you can with a lot of people too it seems to be the case that it's very difficult to find that hedgehog thing i know for me for instance it took me a long time and you know and i still could be wrong about um, about the strength that I lean into. And you've said a couple of times too that uh, people really need to lean onto the strengths. And I think as you're going to uh, discuss as well, you brilliantly pointed out the power of delegation and relying on people and having that team that co- combines everyone's strengths together to kind of stack upon each other to create something even more beautiful. So um, when when we're talking about that, I think... I think a lot of people can resonate with the fact that it is a difficult thing. It is difficult to even know what you want to do, then let alone know what you're really good at. And then being able to look at these other things you got to sacrifice in order to get there. For instance, I like, I'm really interested in picking up all these hobbies. And yet I know that I can't, I can't be a really good guitar player. I can't be a really good singer. I cannot be a really good um, archer. I can't really be good at playing soccer, basketball and bodybuilding and, you know, nutrition. Like I can't do all of that at once. I can't be the master of any of those things yet. I want to be the master of everything. So there's a part of maturity, which comes with letting those parts of you die in order to have that sacrifice to become something greater. And I think, you know, that's even expressed in all these different religions as well, where divine sacrifice is necessary to facilitate the growth of the individual. This is one thing that you did really well with the manifestation conversation last week, which is you went deeper than the surface level manifestation. A lot of people think that they should be striving for. And this is one of those things that I've been thinking a lot about, which is the, that, it's, it needs to go deeper when you think about what your hedgehog is, right? Like, because when you think about what you're trying to get better in, 
if it stays on a surface level, it's ludicrous to think that while the world is evolving and things have changed, that your that one thing on a surface level, which was a task or a habit or a or a or a, a process that you had in place, that you think that if you stay consistent with that and don't give up on it, you'll still get there. You need to evolve with the world. But what doesn't change is that core, I think, the core strength or the core want or the core can that we talked about previously, which is that if you believe that you could do all of these things. So let's say for me, you know, let's say my hedgehog was that I think that I can be, I think that I can be a public speaker at a best in the world class, right? Like, and let's say that that was kind of my hedgehog. Like I wanted to get on stage and I could do that better than anyone else in the world. The evolution that comes with that isn't necessarily me just speaking on the stage. It could be that I'm still building up my my uh, speaking communication methods through podcasting. It could be that uh, when I'm buying technology and I'm thinking to myself like, oh, do I buy A or B? I'd probably go B because it would give me better mic quality for speaking on stage. Or the things that I go out there and spend money on now are more to help me become a better speaker, whether it's better outfits or recording devices to to practice or where I spend time, which is surrounding myself with better communicators, what I'm wasting my time doing, which is on YouTube, watching other speakers, right? I think the habits will line up with that core hedgehog. And I, I think those habits will always change. You know, for you, it could be like, you want to be someone that creates without limitations. And, so, you know, even though that's not trying to, you know, you could say like, I want to do that at, as like a best in the world class. It depends what the best is measured at, right? Like best doesn't mean you play better than anyone else. It could be that you play more than anyone else or you play differently than anyone else because your education around different instruments and hobbies allows you to kind of bring it together as a synergy. So like you can, you can kind of think of like where it gets a little bit more complex than I want to be the best in the world at that. And I think that's where it gets really, really fascinating. And it's again, it's just something I've recently been thinking about over the weekend and I'm, I'm kind of excited when we get back next season to see like if, if there's been more evolution in both of our conversations around this, which where I think it gets really, really fun. I'm really glad you brought up that delegation component because I was speaking at a panel recently for a uh, university class. And during this panel, I was asked about uh, I was asked why I got into content creation and um, and, and in this creative space and. I usually love responding without putting much thought because I always get curious in what my instant reflection is first. And then I like actually asking myself, do I agree with it or not? And my instant response was that I love creating without limitations. And then I thought about what I said there and my mind went back to like who I used to be when I used to go to college. And, you know, when I was in college and I, I briefly got to know you near, near the tail end, you know, as I was like finishing up college and, you know, a lot of the peers we hung out with in college one thing I love that you would recognize is that I love spending time with other departments that wasn't mine. I never really hung out with marketers. I hung out with people in the art industry and in the video industry and photography industry, because what I always thought of back then without calling it content creation is I thought of it as if I had a vision, I need other people to make that vision come true. Like, let's say I had this beautiful vision of what a movie could look like, but I'm like, crap, I don't know. I don't know how to direct a movie, cast the right people, tell the right story, storyboard it, animate it, all that stuff. So I, the option could have been, A, I go out and learn all that stuff, which I might have never been able to achieve that in my lifetime, and it's very limiting. Or B, 
start collaborating with other people or delegate these things so that the vision could come to life. Hence, B to me started seeing like I can create without limitations. Like I can still make my dream come true without being limited by the skill sets that I'm lacking in order to get there. And I realized that as I've grown up, that's kind of stuck with me. Like I've always thought of like the agency that I currently work with, Candy Box Marketing in uh, in the greater Toronto area, like it's become ranked as one of the fastest growing agencies in the world and by far one of the most successful ones in the country. I don't think the success came out of us looking externally and figuring out how to be the best. I think the 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 attribute, the accolades and the wins came out of us facing internally and thinking, how do we bring the most talented people together so that we could keep creating without limitations? And that way, no matter how big you dream, like you can go to bed, you come back and you can be like, I just dreamt of this incredible idea and it can actually happen. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's where delegation became important to me because when I say, and I, I think you agree with this, which is I think what you're alluding to is like, when we say that we can do better, it doesn't mean that you need to have all the skill sets to get there. It means by betting on your strength and potentially collaborating or delegating, you can actually get a better lifestyle as a community or as a larger group and as a sum of people coming together and saying, let's kind of work together and make an incredible thing. You know, in my uh, in a past episode, I talked about um, the day after I went to Electric Island and I, I was kind of reflecting on how fun that was. And I, But one thing that I always remembered about that experience was the fact that everyone kind of brought in their own thing, you know, their own style, their own personality, their own energy, some a little quiet, some extravagantly loud, but you can kind of tell everyone came together for the same purpose, which is have a great time, meet each other, enjoy life, like really celebrate where they are in their life in a different way. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. And I kind of think of community the same way. It's like, everyone's got their own goal. Everyone's got their own background and their own flavor, but you're kind of coming together to grow together. And if you build a community where the emphasis and the focus is better, and as you said, better could mean different things to different people. But if, if you just come in with the mindset of everyone's trying to get better, I feel like you give yourself a fair chance of dropping judgment, dropping um, jealousy, dropping being that person that feels like, oh, I'm insecure because someone else is doing better. You just know that if someone in the community is doing better and the community is getting better, that naturally means that you have an opportunity to get far better with the growth of the community. On top of that too, you reframe yourself from being a finished project, let's say one that has everything figured out that you have all these skills and everything set in stone to the possibilities are endless because you're still unfinished and you, you have the path to grow and you can choose where that path grows and have a community based around that. And at any moment, too, it can shift past. It doesn't mean that it has to be static. And I, I think that's the kind of mindset I've had throughout my whole life. That it's it's kind of almost hard to share. And it becomes discouraging when other people don't share that. But at the same time, too, I have to recognize, like, this is what I want. And and that's why when you alluded to the point that, you know, you know, you can grab these different skills from these different areas and from different people, like they can share their knowledge. You have this kind of eclectic approach. And it's actually quite crazy if we think about externally too, that even in science, the people that tend to progress science forward tend to take from different areas. And I mean, they're scientists, but they they were electricians or engineers or something like that because they present 
uh, they have a new way of looking at things as opposed to the old way that kind of, and it kind of challenges that approach that they have. And as a result, we actually find that they tend to create a new hypothesis or this new idea of what it could be. And it, it either challenges the view and it succeeds and the paradigm is changed or it can solidify that paradigm because now you have a new problem and your paradigm solved it. It's just, it never was approached that way. So now you understand more about your paradigm. And that's what's kind of interesting about that when you take it uh, in your own life too, where I find that the skills I learned from these other hobbies and these other interests, I kind of take back to this underlying theme of, I want to develop more of myself. And that sounds very vague. And even I'll never know what that truly means because I'll never know a hundred percent who I am. It's about exposing myself more and more and discovering more of myself. And I, I find it quite interesting when I'm able to like try these new things, these new experiences, how I didn't, I didn't know that this part of me was possible. I didn't know I thought that way or that I felt this way or that I can operate in such a way. Um, whether that's, you know, when I joined the military reserves, when I was in med school, like those were like huge awakenings for me that I had no idea that I had that kind of potential in me. And now it can go to something as even big as, uh, you know, like archery, for instance, like even like doing that hobby, it, it made me realize how satisfying it is when I have that stillness and, having to have that control over my mind, which is so counterintuitive to most things where when you let go of, um, of the arrow and it flies, what you have to do is you cannot look where it goes. You just have to stay as still as possible. And the second you look up, and if you do that two seconds after you do that, then the arrow changes direction. Like it lands completely different because you focused on the outcome. And I found that to be a perfect metaphor of life. You have to have this kind of follow through and this, uh, this intense focus. And sometimes you even have to kind of trick your own mind and body to go along with it. And it is so counterintuitive from what we hear that, you know, you have to do what comes natural where sometimes you have to do the opposite to, to get to where you want to go or where you need to be. So, you, you know, just from picking up that hobby, I felt like that even solidified that idea in my mind even more. And you actually described a very, uh, a very good approach to this too, where a lot of people have problems with unfinished projects. And, um, and you know, I'd love for you to explain once again, um, the benefit of that, because if I could summarize that, it was what if that project wasn't meant to be finished, but it was supposed to give you the skills necessary for the next project. So I'd love if you can to explain more about that. I love that you brought that up because what I was even going to start this with is the fact that what you've highlighted really, really well is that sometimes these hobbies, you know, if not for the benefit of being good at that hobby, there's a lot of opportunity to pick up those transferable skills. And those are the hobbies I would rather subscribe to. You know, even in, a, in, in the far extreme in the world of video games and where sometimes procrastination becomes the underlying theme of why people are playing video games or the fact that they're lacking motivation, it's hard to, it's hard to say this and it's hard to admit this, but there's a lot of benefits there that also comes out of that, right? It comes back to 
understanding the tech, understanding how games work, understanding storylines and understanding character development. You know, a, a big thing right now that we're seeing in the social media world is squid game memes, right? Everybody's posting about squid games. By you watching squid games where someone might have said, hey, this is like a waste of time. But by you watching it, you're now in the loop. You're, you're part of culture. You understand it and you can make your contrib- contribution by either posting those memes or understanding it and translating it for someone else. So every single thing has an opportunity to build a transferable skill. What's worth thinking about is what is a transferable skill that will allow you, as we said, to feed that hedgehog or generally to feed the North Star of where you want to head to. We talk about working out a lot on the season and working out to me is far more than just getting in good shape. Like to me, the reason I've become so adamant of getting good at creating a system around the gym is simply because of the fact that I know that it teaches me discipline. I know that it teaches me consistency. I know that it teaches me to be happy with small progressions. I know it's important to stick with the system and knowing how to modify if things don't work out. I know how to really take on a challenge and overcome a challenge and then give myself the confidence that I can overcome challenges. There's so much that comes out of it that even if people aren't taking on fitness or going to the gym or eating healthy as the purpose of better physical shape, I think there's a lot to take in that you can benefit from in other areas of your life, which is why it's worth doing it. And this is also why a lot of individuals that are um, air quote successful in the entrepreneurship world, uh, they talk a lot about fitness being a big part of it. And the only reason I put it in air quotes is because I don't believe success is necessarily just financial, but in this scenario, it is financially successful CEOs talk a lot about how working out actually is a big necessity in their keys to success. And I understand that fully. But this brings me back to the other part, which is the skills aren't acquired at the end of that task. The skills are acquired during that task, which also means that if you leave behind a half-baked product, it doesn't mean you left empty-handed. It means that you've left with as much as you could take out of it at that moment. So let's say you're working on a project and you're about 40% in and you decide that this is no longer for you. You're never really starting from scratch. You know how people say, I'm starting over, I'm hitting the reset button. From a mental standpoint, I understand it's a mindset shift of like, hey, let's let go of all those burdens. And that could be very positive. But from a practical standpoint, you're never really starting over. You're always picking up things that you've learned from the past. I used to work at a coffee shop and I now work in a marketing industry. Do those relate? Absolutely. Because I still dealt with people. I still dealt with difficult people. I still dealt with friendly people. And I knew how to negotiate and discuss and handle problems. And I knew how to how efficient businesses worked. I understood systems when I looked at how the coffee shop ran. I learned all those things that even though you would have thought there's no correlation between the two, there's still a lot of things there that still allows me to benefit in the marketing industry. So when you start understanding that, you start becoming at peace with the fact that you might have cut ties and and ended projects maybe a little prematurely in the past. And sometimes we beat ourselves up over it and saying, I can't believe I gave up on that. Or what if I held on to that longer? Um, You know, the what if part really bugs me, man. I've been hearing a lot of those, like, I wish I did this in the past. And we hear this a lot with the investing world. Like, I wish I invested in Apple back then, or I wish I got into Bitcoin early. But I was like, but how would you have known? Like, how would you have known? Like, 
you say you would have, but what if it went the opposite way? Would you say, I regret doing it? Or I wish I didn't, right? Like you just don't know. And if you did know, how do you know other opportunities that you did get would still be available? How do you think, how do you know you didn't lose out on the ultimate? How do you actually know that the path that you're on isn't actually the best outcome versus the other ones? You know, in a, in a very morbid way, I think about like when someone wins an award or someone lost an award and they're like, oh man, I'm not, I didn't even end up going to the award show, but it's like, what if you won an award and on your way out, you got hit by a bus? You know, like, think about that way. Like, you just don't know. And when you just don't know, why do you let the I just don't know eat you up and stop you from the next big thing? So I've actually been completely fine. You know, I've had many failed projects. In fact, I had a big failed project this year that didn't even phase me because I immediately took my learnings and applied it to the next one, which exploded. And I think when you start, stop dwelling and holding on, you know, in the midst and the process of getting better. When you stop holding on to the anchors that are holding you back and you're willing to cut ties, you're able to move a lot faster ahead, especially with the knowledge that you acquired along the way. It's amazing to think too, that it, it takes so much energy out of you to um, like this kind of expectation that they need to be finished and the kind of attack on your own ego that, that comes from yourself being like, I can't believe I can't, I couldn't finish this project. And I mean, I'm never, able to finish anything and this is just a long cycle of proof of reasons why that i'm not good enough and i think if you reframe yourself or frame your mindset around that as this project is not finished yet or this taught me skills that i could transfer to the next thing that is instantly more productive and and like uh, removes all this like negative energy um, carry and instead you can use that energy in a positive way towards the next thing like you described so i think the way you explained it is so beautifully said that's why i wanted you to say it thanks man. Supposed to be. yeah and, um, and, and, and this is where we i have to be a bit, bit careful too because on the other side it's also worth thinking about like how do i not keep using that as my excuse and abandoning projects like how do i actually see something to fruition and i think this is worth discussing I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, because I, I think this is a think out loud moment, right? Because there's, there's things that I finished and then there's things that I've abandoned. I haven't looked back at the things that I've abandoned because the things that I finished did really, really well. What I'm trying to figure out is what makes some, like, how can I make sure I don't fall into the trap of continuously abandoning it? We talked about the shiny object syndrome last time. And I think the shiny object syndrome could become your worst enemy if you're constantly letting it, letting it drive you away from your existing project. I think, just as I'm throwing an idea in here, I think that my mind goes down the path of the importance of focusing on that North Star, of what it is you're trying to achieve. You know, we called it a hedgehog earlier, but I think the North Star is even a better terminology because it is ultimately the direction that you're going. You know, if you think about... Uh, you know, we, we, we previously called ourselves pirates on a ship, I think jokingly, when we were talking about like, hey, are we rebels in this industry? And I, I called you Captain Hook. So I want to use this pirate analogy for a little bit. And let's think it through, right? Let's say you've set the sails and you know the direction that you're going. You're going east and there's nothing that's stopping you from going east. That's your North Star. But along the way, you decide maybe that you want to change the boat that you're in because it's not as efficient. And along the way, while you're building that second boat, you decide, you know what? I like the first one. I'm going to abandon that project. And you just put that away. Then along the way, you decide to take too many pit stops. You know, you're stopping at every other island. 
because you're you're just really enjoying the fun aspect of the parties that's happening at these islands and you meet a lot of friends and it's slowing down the process. I think the mindset of you always get back on that ship and keep riding towards the North Star is something that is is necessary in order to make sure that you see your main objective through, your core objective through. Now, it's also worth thinking about the fact that every single time you get sidetracked, you're losing time and it requires more patience. And sometimes that's enough to drive you on saying, you know what, let's drop the distractions. I need to move a little bit quicker. Um, it's, it's a tough conversation because you're really battling between patience and anxiety in this, in this situation. But having your eyes on the North Star really allows you to know if you're on the right track. And the great news is you can dictate whether you want to move there quickly or slowly along the way. Curious to get your thoughts if you agree on that and how others can ensure that using like, hey, I don't need to finish this project is my excuse to drop every project along the way. Yeah, I would have had two like separate answers from that, actually. Uh, so I will focus on the person that uses that excuse. I think just having knowledge of the knowledge that works with habits is is good enough to kind of help you realize that you're making the same kind of things. Because I think what shiny object syndrome is, is you have a task that you want to do. And after a while, you reach a kind of plateau when it comes to progressing on it. And it becomes uh, the activation energy or the energy required to actually start this task is is pretty high and it's to the point where it becomes daunting it's hard to push through and as a result you pick up something else that has very low activation energy because you don't have all the stress and you progress rapidly because it's a new thing and maybe your mind is oriented to pick up new skills quickly and you are good at learning quick in that case just recognizing that that's just how your habit works is that you it's hard to sit with the uncomfortable feeling that um, of starting something or that pressure that you put in your head that I have to do this is enough to make yourself recognize that I'm just distracting myself. It's essentially the, almost the same thing as a drug addict or any kind of thing that you just, you can't sit with this uncomfortable feeling that, and you need something to kind of numb you out. So I, I would say the same thing as you have, like, look at what you want this task for, like, what is the purpose of this task and connect it to an internal value that you have. And that core value that we discussed on better manifestations, I think that's a great uh, starting point. There's also like a couple techniques too. I, I, I can't remember which author and I'm pretty sure I used this example before in the podcast too, but there was an author that he wouldn't release the book that he finished until he was halfway done uh, the next book. And the reason why is he didn't want the excitement from finishing the book, distract him from working on the next one. So once he already had the second one halfway done, uh, then he would release it out to the world too. Uh, so then that way, even with that excitement, you'll be like, well, I already have this halfway done. So I'm going to work on that. And it's not as difficult. Now that's when you have like these kind of projects that you can kind of stack upon each other, like writing a novel, but there's also another author that what he would do is at the end of a writing block, he would write a sentence, but have it halfway finished and make it so that sentence is easy to finish. So that way, the next time he goes to write, 
he just has to finish the sentence and wow like it was so easy to start because i that was just like a very way a very easy thing to start with is finishing a sentence not writing something new which is all like infinitely more daunting you have to be a lot more creative with your faculties on that so i think you can use these little techniques to make it easier in the way that like you can leave things almost like kind of half unfinished at least the minor tasks i mean so then when you return to them it's a lot easier i 100 agree and i i think what makes it easier to come back is also spending more time on as we call it the why or the burning desire Right. It, I go back to the fact that if you want it bad enough, there's nothing that's going to stop you from getting there. And if you don't get there or you stop heading that way, it just means you don't want it bad enough. So in many ways, if you're falling into the trap of abandoning projects too often and abandoning the path you were going down and taking maybe too many rests and you're not happy with that, it's an opportunity to probably go back and look at the why. And figure out what happened, what changed. Like, do I just not care as much? You know, I even think about this, like when a, on a very minuscule level, like when we have a, a cottage trip coming up in the summer, dude, I never work out harder at the gym and eat better in the kitchen than I ever have in like the weeks leading up knowing that it's there. But when it's done, or if it's not on my calendar, all of a sudden I wait for the next one to really, really get my attention. And if you think about what's happening in that perspective is that I'm setting myself a why strong enough to remind me. Now, if it was two weeks away, I'm working my ass off. If it's years away, sometimes it's harder to want to stay consistent knowing that you're not getting fed. You're not getting that gratification early enough. And therefore, you're taking your foot off the gas. And this is where it's worth thinking about how to keep that North Star or your why as a focal point for the long term, especially when we know that the best things in life could take even as as early as three years and maybe as late as the rest of your life. And you think about the fact that it's hard for those people to stay consistent. You know, a lot of people that are in the world of martial arts that don't do it for entertainment, that do it just for self-defense, they're trained their entire life to learn these skill sets and practice it on a regular basis for the chance that you may need it one day. For the rare chance that you may need it one day. And I guarantee you, if we really looked at the stats, there's probably a tiny percentage of people that will actually need that skill set. But they practice every day and they keep that in their mind as their main goal every day. And they do it for many years, if not their entire life, in keeping their, their swords sharp so that if that day does come, they'll be ready. And it's incredible to think about how motivated that individual can stay and how disciplined they can stay every step of the way. So I think finding better ways to remind yourself. And there's a few ways that, I, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about how I do it. I know some people go as far as saying, create a vision board, have it up there, easy to see, you know, give yourself a reminder or take moment um, at the beginning of your day, which is something that I do on gratitude. Because when you're grateful, you start thinking about the things that 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 are important to you. And sometimes that importance is going to be enough to drive the motivation. A good example is when, a father meditates and thinks about how grateful he is for his kids. And now he's working his ass off because he just reminded himself that he wants to do it for his kids. So gratitude in the morning is a great way. Another one that's great for me is surrounding myself with motivated and, and like well-disciplined individuals. You're a great example of one of them. And then the rest of my community is another great example. And the interesting thing that 
we only realized a couple of weeks ago because it came up in conversation is that majority of those people in the community I've never met in person. It's kind of twisted when you think about it. The people that are influencing my life the most, majority of them I've never met in person. And when you think about why that happens, it beca- I think a lot of it has to do with the interesting world that we're in right now where you could build a community without having to go out to networking events and make friends and keep long-term relationships. You could just find people, as we said, that community of better. You could find those or you could build those and you don't necessarily have to know them to that level, but you're constantly being reminded of why you do what you do. You're constantly being challenged. You're being held accountable. And those type of traits allow you to maintain that. And this, this is really the underlying theme that I think of when I think of better community. I think of The fact that by simply reminding yourself that there's a correlation that you could get better results by becoming better and you could get less pain by becoming better. And if those two aren't motivating you, you need to figure out if you're too comfortable in where you are in your life. You know, back then it was all about moving away from my bad experiences. It was all about getting so good that I could recreate it. The more I hated how things were in my life, the harder I worked to get out of it. And to me, that was the ultimate motivator. So for anyone that's listening, that is simply unhappy with an area in their life. And maybe that's what led you to this path and resulted in you listening to an episode of Modern Mindset Podcast. Maybe it's about getting out of a bad place. That to me was my biggest driver of getting better and getting better means surrounding myself with people that I really believed I want to surround myself with working on myself, on my personal development and unlocking these keys in my mind by reading books, watching videos, spending time with other people and learning things that my family and my generation just never understood. And then getting better as a result of that. Then when I got past the level where I'm unhappy, I now want more because those keys that I've unlocked, or those doors that I've unlocked in my head, by finding those keys, I've been able to realize that I can actually achieve far more than I thought if I continue working on myself. If either of those motivators, getting out of a dark place or wanting a better life are a good reason for you to get up, then I highly encourage you to consider better being the only thing that's in your mind, which is whatever you're doing in this world, whatever you think you can do, you can do it better. And if you've done it once, you can do it better. And as long as that's your mindset, I think it gives you plenty of opportunity to in practical ways to go down that path as well. Yeah, there, there's um, that saying that always rings true that I couldn't help but think of when you were explaining that too, where it's like, uh, I think in order to change the situation you are, the pain of being in that situation needs to outweigh the pain of change. And I think if you learn to become comfortably uncomfortable or comfortable with the uncomfortable situations that's where the growth is i think you created a beautiful post on our uh, instagram page too where it shows where the growth actually happens and that's when you step out of your comfort zone and um it, it becomes difficult but i think if the way that kind of helps me reframe it in a way that becomes more manageable is that um even recognizing the fact that optimally speaking the way we have fun is we have to be just a tiny bit uncomfortable but comfortable in the knowledge that we can actually succeed in that so there has to be this kind of 
line and division where you're not, it's not too easy. The task is not too easy and the task is not too hard where it becomes overwhelming. So there's a sweet spot that you're aiming for. And that is always just a little bit outside your comfort zone. And for, for myself, I found that change, I, I had to take very small baby steps just because of, well, my upbringing and, and how sheltered of life I lived and also how little confidence I had in myself and how risk adverse I was that I couldn't make these bigger steps because I just, I had absolutely complete terror of the unknown. And I couldn't face that in, in a way that was productive. It was always retreating back to my mind and um, going back to what I'm comfortable to. But funny enough, my comfortable place was th- was my mind and what I cultivated in my mind was all this negativity and anxiety and it was actually a terrible place to live in when you hear when you hear you tell yourself that you know you're not a valuable person you're not worth it, you're not capable of achieving these things you can tell absolute worst things about yourself and yet somehow I was comfortable living with that as opposed to taking a chance and maybe taking compliment from someone so it's it's amazing to think that that is such a difficult thing to do. But the truth is like anyone from the outside can see the benefit from that. It's just when you're in there and uncomfortable, you have to learn how to sit with that. And so just reframing for me that the true growth comes from that sweet spot. And like, that's where you have the most fun. And that's how everyone pretty much operates. Just even being aware of that kind of helped me want to push my boundaries a little bit more and being okay with that and recognizing that I can survive these these moments provided I don't do anything crazy or stupid. It allowed me to go into that growth of wanting more because once I had a taste of that and once I saw how I was improving as a person, I just wanted more and more of that. And I think there's this, there is a kind of movement I've seen like the past couple of years in social media, which is kind of just to accept yourself and to accept your body and who you are. And I think that has good intentions, but I think it's misplaced because in a sense, it's saying don't work on yourself because that means that you're not enough, which is, I think, absolutely disrespectful to, to life in general. I think you should always strive to do more for yourself. You should have, if you don't want to be the best version of yourself for yourself, then think about the others. Think about, you know, the world you live in and people you are with. If not being better for yourself is good enough, how about being better for those people that you care about? I think that's imperative to actually know it's kind of a selfish way to accept that you're, you're good enough. But at the same time, when I say that, it sounds so damaging and so conflicting but there's so much nuance in in that that has to be appreciated and i feel like that's lost instantly when you say when you words use words like good enough and acceptance and i think as well it's it's difficult to pinpoint what that actually means i think people have a hard time with even accepting the fact that you know they're not of their mind it seems like this this whole internal environment we have. It's actually just events if you think about it. Like having this one stream of thought is an external event in the same way that 
um, you know, when you're in your room, your TV is not you, but you're in your room in your house. And that's just a part of the place you live in. Same way with your thoughts. To have that separation, I think, allows you to actually have distance from the fear of, of chasing the uncomfortable and allowing yourself to grow. Oh, man, so much good stuff there. And, you know, when you were thinking about the words like good enough, um, I was thinking of the word settle, which was, I think, one of the worst things that I, uh, I've ever had to almost like push away from. And, you know, these words doesn't actually get said that way in our heads because we don't want to put ourselves down. Right. Because like to say like, hey, I settled means you're accepting defeat. And you're saying like, oh, I'm uh, it's good enough for me is usually saying that they could have been better, but I'm not I don't deserve it. So like your mind somehow logically tiptoes around that and tries to tell you that it was the best outcome and it was the right choice and you did do the right thing or you figure it out later. Don't worry. You know, like it'll put you at peace. And that sometimes results in not making a big change. And I, I think that's really interesting. Your story, man, like I can't even begin to express how inspiring your story is. And when people listen to this show, every time that you open up a little bit about who you used to be versus who you are today, I go very, very quiet. And I keep hoping that people really pay attention to the pieces that you're putting down one episode at a time, because there's so much there. Like it's not enough just saying it. It's knowing that you really made a transformation of someone that maybe had a difficult time, even smiling or looking at a stranger or, would get anxiety when there are people around you. And now like you have completely transformed that side of your life. And the fact that that's not just a story, that's not just a theory, like imagine the transformation. Like I don't even know what it's like to get that level of anxiety at my shyest and that you actually went through that and you were actually trying to find out if this is something you can ever overcome. And that fact that you've actually been able to do it, there's so much there that speaks very much the truth of what you're able to do in, re, as you said, reframing. I love that. I call it rewiring as well, which is the fact that you could rewire your entire way of thinking that becomes long-term or permanent. It's hard to use the word permanent because you could deteriorate and head back down if bad habits are picked up, but it's very much long-term. And I was actually very quickly thinking back to a study that um, I think I've talked about during the gratitude episode of this season which is the fact that there was a Harvard study that was done. Uh, it was a Harvard and an Indiana University study that was done by researchers where they had individuals sit down and write three things that they're grateful for every day for 21 days. And after 21 days in a row, they actually saw physical changes in their brain and significantly in, a significant increase in the level of optimism that it can hold for the next six months straight. And that's just gratitude. I think about how many other things that you could input into your way and your habits and do it consistently enough. You know, this exercise, 21 days, like 21 days for your brain to rebuild itself and give you a stronger level of happiness and optimism that allows you to actually think differently and possibly change your outcomes for the rest of your life where it's impossible to get back to the poor way of thinking. You know, I love the fact that once you taste what your work can get you, you just want way more of it and you'll never look back with doubt. And I think by giving yourself the opportunity to taste and reframe, and as you have seen with your transformation, the benefits along the way 
it was very evident to you that you didn't want to go back. And it's very evident to you that the things that you're doing, though it can be done better, was at least heading down the right path. And I think that's a big part of it, as we talked about with projects, is that you don't start seeing the benefits at the end of the project. You see the benefits along the way. And what helps with that is that if you just push yourself far enough to see the benefits, sometimes that's going to be the driver that keeps you going. And sometimes I'll be the driver where if you got a taste and then you went backwards, you're like, I kind of want that taste again. I kind of want to get better again because I know that it was possible to live a better life than where I am today. I know it was possible to look better than I do today. I know it's possible to have a healthier relationship than I have today. And those drivers of the fact that you tasted it before gives you that surefire confidence that you could do it again and you could do it better. And I think what you did there was incredible. And being that this is our season finale, and I know there's pieces throughout the season, which is why I really, really hope that Anyone that's listening to this, you know, this is going to sit at the very top of the Spotify playlist and Apple iTunes and Amazon Music. So for a lot of people that are finding our podcast for the first time, this may very much be the first episode they ever listen to. And when I encourage them, knowing that this is a season finale, is to actually go back and listen to the 14 chapters, because in many ways, those 14 chapters are the prerequisite for this chapter today. So what I'm hoping, Camille, is... As someone that has really made that transformation, which I know how big of a deal that was, I've seen you in many years of those. If there is a way that you could really illustrate the the thought process, the, the internal stuff, the things I can't see, like I can see you practicing the repetition of trying to socialize, but I can't see what's going through your mind in order to make you get there. So like the practicing of that rewiring, you know, I, I gave an example of that study with three things that you're grateful for, for 21 days. Were there anything else that you had in practice that someone could use in order to reframe and rewire their mind to give, the, give them that confidence for real change? Yeah, um, there is. there are a lot of different techniques. And that's the funny thing with this whole journey. I guess like I started actually actively trying to rewire my mind for like 10 years. So I've picked up so many like little techniques here and there. Um, I think people can relate to anxiety the most. So the, one of the best things is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that is, is there's a kind of triangle where your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors are linked. And so if you can kind of changing your thoughts is the way that you can action to change your feelings and your behavior. So what a good technique would be is to picture yourself going through or at least actually having an experience and where you had anxiety or where you had these thoughts that you want uh, or you had that kind of behavior that that allowed you to avoid and you didn't you didn't want to do that but it just ended up being overwhelming so you resorted to that you can you can write down your what happened and so I'll give you an example of let's say a situation I had. So I was 21 and I I didn't know this person in college too well, but he invited me to a party. So I, I went not knowing anyone except for him. I assumed that there were going to be people in my class, but I didn't really talk to many people because I was, um, I was very shy, but even on top of that, I was actually socially anxious and clinically diagnosed social phobia. And what that meant was it would be intense to the point where um, I would get full on like anxiety or panic attacks in malls just because of how many people were around. 
and I would actually have to like go to the washroom and like take some breaths. I've almost passed out a couple times uh, from how intense it was. And like, you know, the feeling if for people that haven't had panic attacks, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like your vision gets darker. You, you feel like you can't breathe. It feels like you're breathing through a straw. Your heart is beating out of your chest. Your, your palms are sweaty. You like, sometimes I would even get tingling in my fingers and I it felt like I couldn't, um, I couldn't see what I wanted to see and that everything was happening all at once. And I had the sense that I am actually going to die. Like I'm going to get like a heart attack or something. So I, I would get these feelings from time to time in public places like the mall, even when people weren't interacting, but I would get little, like little versions of that, like, like a very mild case of that when people would interact with me. And I mean, it's to the point where if someone says like, hi, how are you doing? I, I would like, I would actually have to like pause and be like, uh, good you. And like in my mind, in my body, that feeling was like, oh my God, like someone's talking to me. And um, I would have to like, <laughs> I'd have to change my shirt like three times a day if I ever went to class because it was like, I was, I was just like sweating and just um, so anxious and whatever. So I went to this party. And so I drive up and I, and I, and I see that there's a lot of people. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm not going. And I just drove home. And so what, what I did when I went back home is I took a piece of paper and I wrote down and I wrote my, my thoughts before and after. So I'm focusing on before, which is the, the moment. And I wrote down uh, what my actual thoughts were. My thoughts were, um, this part is going to suck anyway. I'm just going to make a fool of myself. People are going to look at me like I'm stupid. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to act stupid. And then I'm going to go to class <laughs> the next day. And then people, people are not going to want to talk to me or people are going to make fun of me for going there. Um, and I would make these kind of thoughts that would catastrophize and kind of make the situation the absolute worst thing possible. And to kind of trick myself into thinking, you know what, there's actually a benefit to avoiding the situation like logically speaking, like if like what what's the point of me taking this risk when this can actually happen and this can cause me to, for instance, not do good at school because now no one wants to be in my group and I can't do group projects or that um, I'm just going to have a miserable time. And the whole time I'm going to be thinking, what does this person think about me while I'm in class? So I can't focus on the actual lecture. Though That's like normal with anxiety. It's just future oriented. So I would write those thoughts down. Then I would write how I felt in the moment and how it was, was I would put an emotion like nervous, anxious, and then I would give it a number. So eight or seven. Um, and I'd put as many emotions as I, as I did. And, um, and then my behavior was I avoided the party. So I wrote that down as well. And then I took those thoughts and I said, and I had, you have to look at it in a neutral way as possible because anxiety, it like thoughts when you're anxious are emotionally charged, very quick thoughts. So you have to be able to sift out the emotion and actually take that thought as pure logic and argue for it and against it. And that's what the basis of CBT therapy is. And so 
I wrote down the thought and I was like, what is the evidence for the fact that, um, that I can go to this party and make a fool of myself. And as a result of doing that, people are, are not going are to make fun of me the next day of school. The evidence is, um, the, the evidence is that happened to me once before. The evidence against that is, why would someone care so much about what another person did at a party that they just make fun of him for the rest of their lives? Like, you know, you have to break it down logically. And then you do that with every thought, arguments for and against, and you balance it out. You try to feel both sides. And then you write down your how you feel afterwards, after doing that exercise. And you can see the emotions afterwards. And write down a new balanced thought instead of instead of the thought being i'm not going to go to this party because i'm going to make a fool of myself and uh, people are not going to want to talk to me it became my mind is telling me that i i care about what these people think and i i want to make a genuine connection something like that and it, it does help when you have like a professional doing that. And that was like one of my biggest techniques using that for my panic attacks, for my social anxiety, for like, let's say a good part of six months. And then so um, just to just put hammer point across baby steps with that was I, um, I literally had an exercise, which is started week one was I would walk down the street and I would smile at people and I would, I would have a notepad got carried around with me. And then I'd put uh, either a smiley face, a neutral face or a frowny face, depending on how the reaction was of the other person. And that was week one, week two, I would smile and say, hello. Also same thing. Then it was week three. Hi, how are you? Then week four, it was ask for directions. And I just kept building up that. And over time, I became more adept at handling and managing the anxiety piece to the point where it wasn't that severe. And then I could do like more advanced things. Okay, so this is a a very, very important root of this episode today. And I'm going to plot twist this conversation and start interviewing you rather than being your co-host. So get ready. Okay. We're going to go a little okay. deep here because I think rewiring your way of thinking around why you could get better. And it's possible no matter who you are. Cause I think a lot of people might've given up and done things like saying it's good enough or I'm settling. And I, I don't think that needs to be the case. So if you don't mind, and I, I appreciate you getting as personal as you do, as you have this entire podcast show, um, let's get in a little deeper. So you've, you've kind of laid the land down of what you were struggling through and things that you put into practice and that progressive growth of stacking week after week and trying to get a little bit better. Um, at what point did you start believing that these things that you're doing are actually working and that you've actually started noticing a little bit of that transformation coming in? Like, was there a, another party that you went to and you're like, Oh shit, this is a little bit different. Like what happened that made you confident that this, this stuff is working and made you stick through it. Uh, um, I have to say like, um, even with the first week trying that new thing um, and then looking back and being like, 
why am I so nervous doing this? Like literally nothing bad has happened. I like literally, I compared what I was thinking before doing the activity. Like, like when I was walking down the street and like smiling at people, like, I, like my hands were sweating. I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Just stop. This is silly. Like, this is absolutely pointless. There's no sense in doing this. There's nothing that can possibly happen. But I was like, just do it anyway. Just try. And just doing that, I think even being able to be like, holy shit, I did that even despite having all that resistance was one thing. What Like, it gave me a sense of control, which is one. Uh, but two, when I started actually noticing the differences, in, in a mini school way, that exercise alone was just once I saw that, oh, shit, I have all smiley faces on my paper and I have one neutral face. I'm like, OK, so not everything is all good, but at least it's not all bad. So I'm like, why do I think it's all bad? And it's kind of like once I had that mindset challenged, the one that I've been living with my whole life and seeing that, seeing like the real world evidence for the contrary that's when it was uh that's when i was like okay it's not that i believe that it works it was i'm curious as to what's going to happen if i keep trying uh, let me collect more data yes so this this is very much true to the power of unpacking your thoughts and then realizing it that maybe you have severely exaggerated what you thought was happening when it's not the case at all you know, when I when I was writing uh, Project Reinvention, and I was actually like trying to recreate the conversations that I was having back then, I remember laughing at myself and I was like, why am I such an idiot? Like, why was I saying these things? And why was I thinking that this is what they were thinking? Like, I remember laughing at myself because I realized how often our mind tends to really exaggerate right to the extreme ends of that situation of like, oh man, life is over or, oh man, this couldn't have gone worse. Where the reality is, as you saw with the smiley face consistency, that maybe that wasn't the case at all. And, and that is actually a beautiful realization because now it's no longer a, a opinionated conversation. It's a factual conversation. It's almost like you're in a debate and someone fact checked you and you're like, oh, what do I say now? And then you kind of like now have to rework and rethink about your perspective on that, which actually is literally rewiring, uh, which is kind of the main objective of why you're going through this transformation for a better life. So who is Camille today? Like, who have you become after that transformation? Like, if you had to lay the foundation down of what used to be a sheltered, anxiety-filled individual that knew that he didn't want to be this person anymore that started implementing practical ways that you just very nicely outlined for us, started seeing tiny benefits one week at a time. And then eventually, I assume, and fill in the gaps if I'm saying this incorrectly, but long-term, those minor changes ended up becoming a major change that naturally transformed you into a different person. Like, who is this different person that you are right now? And what can you accredit it to? Right. Um if I can attach, I guess, certain traits to it, then I would say that I am, I am way much more of a risk taker. I'm more spontaneous. I, I do see myself as someone that's ambitious and kind of um, I, like, I really enjoy uh, like trying new things and being uncomfortable in those kind of experiences. Um, I'm, I'm more open. I, I'm a lot more friendly too. And I think, 
I, I would say that uh, like I enjoy, I actually enjoy socializing, which if you asked me back then 10 years ago, uh, it would be the opposite. It would like socializing was like, uh, I, I don't even know how to equate it. It was, it was burdensome. It was hell. It was, it was just, it felt like absolutely no benefit to me. It was just all like an uncomfortable experience. It was worse than going to the dentist, you know, like getting your, like a tooth like ripped out of me. It really felt to me like every time I was socializing, I was facing death and a real tangible physical death, not like a, like a metaphoric one. So the person who I am today, I attribute to those little tiny practices because over time, like I started doing that when I was 19 and I met you when I was about 21, I think 21, 22. I don't think I, I wouldn't have actually allowed you to come over if I didn't do that because I wouldn't allow myself to have, to meet new people like that. I wouldn't have, so I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have this podcast. I wouldn't have the confidence to make new friends uh, like the ones we've, we've had mutually as well. And I wouldn't have the confidence to go out to another country to study medicine. And I wouldn't have the confidence to make friends there. And I wouldn't have the confidence to even take a patient interview. I wouldn't have the confidence to actually do the task that I feel like my purpose is revolved around, which is to help people. I wouldn't be able to do that as effectively or in the way that I want to. So those from something as little as smiling to a stranger, it allowed me to overcome this literally deathly fear and phobia of interacting with people that I need to kind of learn to manage if I want to help them. And it allowed me to better define my purpose and to have more confidence in saying that this is who I am and this is who I want to be for other people as well, but mainly for myself. What a beautiful journey that I've had the opportunity to witness only for a a short percentage of your life. I, I know it's been many years, but it still is tiny compared to the things that you've gone through in your life. And I'm, uh, it's an honor to watch that journey. And, you know, you, you got me thinking about something when you said like, Hey, I was just trying to smile at strangers and look at all these things. You know, I went across uh, to another country studied. I I'm now like far more social. You and I are friends. We have a podcast show all because of that activity at first, which was to overcome it. And you made me realize that we actually exaggerate and over, we, we actually overestimate how much we think things could go bad. And we underestimate how good things could get because like the reality is like a lot of the things that happen and I, I love serendipity so much, man. It just tends to shock you. Like you cannot be prepared for how good things get when you better your life. And it happens over and over again. I was like, you know what, next time, next time I know what's coming. And then it just blows your mind over and over again. And for me, that has been ongoing the biggest reason why I love trying to get better all the time. And even where, with where I am in my life, I think I still want to get significantly better in different areas, which has been very much inspired from these podcast conversations that we've had this entire season. You use the word confidence every time you listen something out. You're like, I got the confidence to socialize. I got the confidence to meet you. I got the confidence for this podcast, confidence for studying. But I also love the word that you brought up recently a few weeks ago, which is courage. And I remember that we have an episode on this season called Better Courage, and you actually brought that up to my attention. And I'll be honest, from all the topics we've talked about, 
when you brought up better courage before we recorded, I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like, do I have a lot to say here? Like, why is courage such a big piece that it's one of the 14 chapters? And very quickly, halfway in our recording, I was like, oh my gosh, this might actually be one of the biggest chapters because it very much speaks to the importance that was needed in order to make that leap to get the best out of what you did from your circumstance. You know, I I talk a lot about how I lived the first half of my life as a chowdhury, and now I want to re- live the rest of my life as a as mafus. And when I say that, I very much speak to the fact that a lot of what I've done in the past and who I used to be was very much conditioned by who I was living with and who I was spending the most time with and the the voices that was the loudest in my ears back then. And it led me down a path that although it was good willed, although there was from from an intention standpoint, there was great intentions, I found myself becoming more and more unhappy. And the amount of courage that it took to actually take control and try to change that around to now this exponential happiness that I feel every day is one of the biggest leaps I've had to take. And it all came down to courage. You know, when you think about it, we're constantly making decisions that are not popular with no guarantee that it's going to pay off the way we want it to until we really start seeing it pay off. And it's almost like some might think of it as a gamble, like you're really betting on this direction that you're going, going back to that ship that we're sailing, you're betting that East is going to get you to the destination. And you're like, I don't care what other people say, I'm going to close my ears because I know that East is going to get me there. That could lead down a very, very dark path. But first, let me throw into the ring that you don't need to go in as if you're gambling and you have, you have the equal odds of failing. You actually could very, very much prepare yourself for a higher output and a better chance that things will work out based on the fact that you're building these foundations, you know, rewiring your brain, reading books, spending time with people, working on yourself, paying attention to what's happening, recalibrating, like you're actually not necessarily going to go down this path of rolling the dice, and maybe you'll fail. It's a 50-50 chance. That's not at all the case. It's the fact that you are giving yourself the courage to go against the wind, and you're going against things that you've been taught, and sometimes you're doing it because you're, you're, you're doing it with the, the uncertainty that things may not work out. And to me, that was one of the biggest leaps that was necessary is that the unhappiness was enough for me. And as you said, like when it's higher than the willingness to do something, you're going to do it. And, and like it made me take that leap. And when I think about like who I am today is I'm simply someone that is absolutely happy. Like I'm happy with where I am. And I know I can even be happier, which makes me want to get better. And I know I used to be unhappy before. So to me, those constant proof of transformation allowed me to continue pushing the envelope. And it's beautiful to hear your story as well, which is how many things wouldn't have happened. You know, when people talk about like, what is the cost of taking this leap? I think about what is the cost of not taking the leap? And I think about how much you've outlined that wouldn't have existed if you didn't take that leap to begin with. And I got to tell you, it wasn't until after we recorded Courage that Courage actually became one of my favorite chapters in this entire season, because it made me realize what a big piece that was that might have been missed if we didn't spend enough time going micro on it. And I, I was really appreciative that you brought that up as a key fundamental. Thank you. It was it was something I 
I really, I really felt was necessary because you need it for absolutely everything. Um, I mean, the whole point of the way we're raised is to teach us how to socialize and how to act in a society that allows for our survival, but also for the betterment of the society as a whole. And at, at the same time, that does come at the cost and the cost is the individual. And what if there needs to be a kind of creative way for every person to learn how to function in society for its betterment, but also for the betterment of themselves. And that is something you cannot teach. And that has to be something that's kind of learned uh, through exposure and experience, but you have to take that first step, which is courage. And you have to be brave to expose yourself to the possibility that maybe you're wrong with this approach. And that's where, I thought courage was the biggest thing because as I outlined with like the things that couldn't have happened, if I didn't do something as silly as smile to strangers on a street, I didn't know that this would be the outcome when I did it 10 years ago. I had absolutely zero idea. I legitimately thought that was just a stupid exercise. I'm just going to do it to say that I did it because it was given to me. But from that and from allowing myself to take the possibility and the risk that I could be wrong, I found out that I was in that moment, but it was for my own benefit because I actually challenged myself and I realized that my old way of thinking was actually not who I was. It was the way I was raised and the experiences I've had that kind of culminated in a sense of suppressing who I am as a person in order to survive, to become invisible to other people so I wouldn't be as exposed. But I didn't realize how much potential I actually had and how much strength as as an individual I actually had until I was able to take those first steps and be able to be brave under those circumstances. Because now um, there there's a famous saying that uh, I think Jordan Peterson says, which is, um, if you're ever bored, just be honest, because honesty is an adventure. You you literally don't know what's going to happen when you start being honest. You can take the safe response into every societal interaction, and you can pretty much estimate what's going to be the outcome. And it's pretty, pretty similar, right? The way you respond to how are you? If you take your own unique approach, you'll never know what happens, and you'll never be bored. But you'll you'll need to keep on taking those chances because it is a lot easier said than done there is that fear that kind of longing that you want to have to belong to a group or to connect with people is still there and you can't you can't relinquish that at the same time too you have to learn how to how to overcome those the byproduct of the attachment of that is the risk of losing that you trick yourself into thinking that you're going to lose that by being more of yourself or being authentic when in truth, because we don't see authenticity as frequently in our society nowadays, unfortunately, it kind of is seen as the, the, the worst way of being, but it actually allows you to connect the deepest with the people that you can actually connect with. Unfortunately, that also means that there's, going to be majority well maybe not even majority but there's going to be a good percentage of people that you can't connect with because 
because you're authentic, you, you have to also recognize and be okay with the fact that it may not be received the way that you think or the way that you want it to be received. But having that courage to take that, I think allows for completely unexpected possibilities. And just to hammer the point home, my exercise was just to was just to smile to strangers. But now I'm now I have a medical degree. I have a podcast with you. I have you as my best friend. I have all of these beautiful things that I wouldn't trade for the world. But it came from a place that I had to overcome one of the greatest fears that it was almost like I had to let myself die to go through that. And to be brave in that sense is extremely challenging, but it is possible. I was watching a um, an episode with Joe Rogan and Russell Peters not too long ago. And I remember that they were talking a little bit of how technology has come a long way in our generation. And I remember Russell Peters was saying something like, I can't believe it took us this long to get here. I can't believe it took us this long to figure it out. And, you know, what Joe Rogan responded with was, I think, such a great way to really explain why we at this point in our life are actually starting to see things the way we are, which is the fact that safety was the priority back then, right? Safety was the priority. And when you think about past generations, even the past generations before that, when you're thinking about safety and you're, you always got to watch your back, you lose the opportunity to innovate. You're not progressing ahead when you're worried about the past. And when you're worried about the past, you're always going to do the, the urgent things to keep you afloat rather than innovate and try to get better. And obviously what, what he was referring to was from a literal standpoint, like someone could literally get an arrow shot in their back while they're building something. So they're they're spending more time protecting themselves from the arrow rather than building something new. And I, I think that that mindset really does play a big role when you think about the, uh, the hierarchy of needs and you think about how big safety plays, like, like food and shelter is one of them, but like even safety from society, you know, safety from the fact that people don't say sometimes things they want to say because they may lose their job or they don't want to speak up in the family because they may get kicked out of their house, or they don't have honest and open conversations with their friends because they may get, they may get isolated and um, they may get kicked out of that circle. So as a result of that, they keep their mouth shut. I think that level of honesty, both externally and internally is a beautiful thing. And I, I think like from your bravery standpoint, like even metaphorically, as much as literally willing to risk it all, you know, like really, really owning who you are for the best life that you possibly can. You know, it's scary that we never really as an individual think about how long we're going to live. Like we, it never really crosses our mind unless we're probably in our deathbed and it's, and we're being told the number, but you're kind of thinking that you're going to live for a long time, no matter what age you're in. And it's kind of like, you kind of don't think about it enough. And when you start thinking about it more, you know, when you start keeping it, at the focal point of the fact that life is short and you think about it all the time, what that starts to do is it instantly starts cutting ties with the stuff that are holding you back. It instantly starts focusing on things that, hey, maybe I shouldn't take these things as seriously. Maybe I should focus more on the things that do really matter to me in life. It really starts prioritizing things that are important where stupid like high school arguments 
are not as important as you thought they would be when you realize that, hey, we all, every single one of us have only a short period of time on this planet. And I think about if you knew that, if you knew that without a shadow of a doubt and didn't deny that anymore, what would you do and how would you live your life? And I, I want people to think about that from their own perspective, because I imagine that everyone would come up with a different answer and it may not be at all like the answers that we have in mind. But I can tell you this, that there is a lot of certainty in the fact that doing things in your own terms and doing it your way and doing things that truly make you happy and give you peace are far more, are far a better way and probably a more common answer than doing things to impress other people or for their validation. And I think with that, you know, while we're talking about rewiring and reframing, just the reframing around that and starting to think about what really matters to you the most is one of the most beautiful ways of thinking because it really starts putting your energy in all the right things. I've been spending a lot of time, especially this year, you know, I can honestly tell you that in the last three, four years, my rewiring and reframing has become significantly different than even the fifth year. You know, like that's how much I've changed my way of thinking. And the things that are starting to become important to me are things like leaving that legacy, leaving that, um, making that impact that I've wanted to make and actually doing it in the nicest way possible. I was talking to Priya about this on my ride home yesterday. You know, we, we were talking about kindness. And I mentioned this to her the other day. I was like, you know what makes me really happy? And one of the best compliments that I get is that on two different occasions, we had workers tell us that, oh, I wish every customer was like you because you are the perfect customer. Two occasions. One of them was when we were checking in to the Western Hotel in Toronto. The, uh, the individual that was checking us in was like, oh, can you, could, couldn't everyone just be like you? You're amazing. And then another one was when we were at a retail shop just over the weekend that were saying, I wish all customers were like you. And that made me feel really good because it was that realization for myself that the kindness element to me is not just something I talk about. It's really something I want to live by. Like I really want more than anything else to prove to this world that you can live a great life by leading with kindness and not the alternative that we've been, we've been learning by looking at what other people are doing in society today. And I'm starting to see those signs quite frequently. And I, I love, you know, Priya's response was just perfect. She's like, I never thought of you as someone that ever said anything that you don't actually do. And I, I like, she's someone that sees me more than anyone else. And that was just like an incredible feeling that the person that sees me the most knows that the things I talk about all the time are actually things that I'm doing in my life. And I think that that's where things get important, man. You know, I think that when I think about things from a perspective of how to live the rest of my life, I think it starts with doing things on your own terms. And when doing things on your own terms starts becoming a little bit selfish. And sometimes selfish gets a bad rap and it makes you stray away and saying, no, 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 I got to do it for others. I got to be unselfish. But Doing things on your own terms in a selfish way doesn't mean it hurts other people. It just means you're doing it in the way that you wanted to do it, not because someone stirred you and pushed you down that path. As we talked about in the last chapter, not everyone has figured out the answers that you're searching for. So why are you relying on their methods? There's a lot of opportunity for you to figure these things out through methods that are yours or methods that are others that have also done it the right way that you want to do it. And I think it's an important conversation and I'm so glad that we've been doing it in our, in our podcast because 
it's not enough to pick up one chapter and run with it. It's just as important to pick up every part of everything we talked about on this show to really bring together, you know, it's, it matters to get experiences so that you can do more with life and taste and know what you want to do. It matters to have better conversations so you can grow through it. It matters to have the courage. It matters to have the gratitude. Like every piece of the puzzle matters. And when you start paying more attention to the ones that matter the most to you, I really think the transformation can happen. And it only happens when you focus on trying to get better, not staying at the level that you're in today. Of course. On that note, I think about it too. I think when I keep saying that we can do better, I think do, we can do better means we can do it on our own terms. And in a way that betters not only ourselves and our understandings of ourselves, but also of society and the people that we love in general. I think the more authentic we are, the more that we attract those people that are in line with our core values and our actions. And I think I'm really happy that you've had, you know, actual feedback and confirmation that your, your words match your actions, because that's something that is so hard to strive for. And I think that's when you can say that you're authentic is when you have, actions lining up with those words and when we when we do that i find that i make better connections with that and i'm much i have better conversations with people too it's it's amazing that the more honest i am even with people that disagree with my viewpoint there's a mutual respect that is there if done in the right way and if it approached in a way that we want to do better for the people around us too. So I, I can't help but thinking doing something on our own terms is how we can do better. Camille, that was so beautifully put. I actually don't know if I want to even add on to that, but it's, it's such an interesting perspective shift that I didn't even think about, which is the idea that doing things on your own terms is doing better, which is absolutely right. And that also gives you the control to decide how much further that you want to push it. And I, I think it was so well put. Listeners, for first and foremost, let me repeat the fact that Camille and I are incredibly grateful for the amount of attention that we've received. I think if we do the math, we're very close to releasing 30 hours, Camille, 30 hours of conversation on this podcast show. And it's, it's beautiful when you think about what that could look like. You know, when you think of a, a Netflix show, that's a season long, sometimes 30, 30 episodes used to be, I think they got a little lazy now and you get like eight episodes now, but I remember like Breaking Bad and all those shows back in the days, like used to get 30 hours worth of content for a season. And I feel like we've been able to really bring that out in this show in setting our listeners up with change. You know, let me put change as a word out there, which is if you want change, you can get it. And you're in control of those change. And the fact that you don't need to rely on the externals there's a lot of things internally that you can do to allow the serendipity, maybe not of how you get there, but you can get the what you want, as we both kind of outlined with our story. And more often than not, it becomes even more beautiful than you imagine. You know, you water the plants and you get a garden that's far beautiful than you were visioning. And I think it's a beautiful thing that that can happen every single day. Camille, I want to thank you. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing this podcast to be what it is. You know, I, I think of this as 
one of my favorite albums in the planet, which is Watch the Throne, when Jay-Z and Kanye West are like, you know what, let's just drop the greatest album of all time. And it it became so good that you just can't skip a track. And I when I look back at every episode that we've dropped on this show, I really, really felt like it was an album that we dropped, like a greatest hits album that you just can't skip a single track because every track matters to the narrative that's been driven home. And I just want to thank you for really giving it your all. There's never a single episode that I listen back to a playback on where I don't feel like you haven't been giving your all on top of the fact that you've been inspiring and bettering me to the things that you've shared. So I want to thank you. You have played a big role in not only the growth that I've had in my life, but the growth that I've even had in these three months of podcasting with you, like just these conversations alone. You know, when we talk about indicators and proof and feedback from the world, I'm seeing that feedback in the world from just the growth that's happening from this podcast show. And I'm so glad, you know, when it comes to courage, that you took a leap on me because I took a leap on you a long time ago. And we're seeing it really come into fruition, not only in our professional lives, but very much in our in our personal lives and the relationships that we're having with other people. So I'm grateful that you're a co-host. I couldn't have asked for anyone else. Thank you. I, I can't believe you know it, it's crazy to think that you're telling me these words when I think the exact same thing of you and I admire the hell out of you. I mean, the past 15 episodes, I, I couldn't believe that we we talked about so much and were able to unpack everything. And I, I couldn't have done it with anyone else. And and to have you and how insightful you are and how much you put into practice what you preach and how you know you have this way of expressing things, which I've always been borderline envious of. Um, that I'm, I can't believe that I get to actually collaborate with you on this. So I'm again, internally grateful and thank you so much for pushing me to do this and encouraging me to do it because I, I'm unsure if I would reach the same uh, destination without you. So honestly, man, I have to say thanks so much for everything. I appreciate the kind words, man. And listeners, I know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to be in a treat and uh, you're going to be in for a treat in season two because um, I know Camille well enough and I'm, there's a lot happening in my life and it's going to be interesting for us to come back in season two and start unpacking from where we are in our life because the amount of things that are going on right now, it's going to lead, I know, to better stories, to better learnings, to better situations and better conversations. And we're so excited to bring that back. And the, in the spirit of making things better, we're going to guarantee you that this show is only getting better as we come back from season two. So thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please hit that like, subscribe, or follow us on Instagram. The handle is The Modern Mindset Podcast. And from Camille and myself to you, we hope that you continue to get better. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again in season two. This is Modern Mindset signing off.